Today I'll be reading from Zone by Matthias Enner, uh, translated from the French by Charlotte Mandel, and uh, published by Fitzcarraldo Editions in 2015 in English, uh, first published in French in 2008. Uh, when I first read this in 2016, um, I think at the time I was actually on holiday in Croatia, uh, where some of the, the narrative is actually set. Uh, it was in fact a revelation for me um, I don't tend to read contemporary fiction at all um, but this work is uh, an absolute masterpiece I think and because I think it's in dialogue with what I consider to be one of the greatest novels of the 20th century Céline's uh, Voyage au bout de la nuit uh, Journey to the End of the Night um, very similar kind of recollections uh, very similar kind of texture and um, I think the, the dialogue is very much conscious uh, on some level um, or unconscious as well and I think there's this kind of spectral lines and a line drawn from Céline down to uh, Anna in this particular work and the reason I'm kind of revisiting it at the moment is because I'm writing something about these two novels however uh, that's not particularly interesting, so let's proceed. Everything is harder once you reach man's estate. Everything rings falser, a little metallic like the sound of two bronze weapons clashing. They make you come back to yourself without letting you get out of anything. It's a fine prison. You travel with a lot of things. A child you didn't bear a little Czech crystal, star, a talisman beside the snow you watch melting after the rewriting of the Gulf Stream, prelude to the Ice Age, stalactites in Rome and icebergs in Egypt. It keeps raining in Milan. I miss my plane. I had 1,500 kilometers on the train ahead of me now. I have 600 still to go. This morning the Alps sparkled like knives. I was trembling with exhaustion in my seat. Couldn't close my eyes like an aching drug addict. I talked to myself out loud on the train or under my breath. I feel very old. I want the train to go on. Go on. Let it go to Istanbul or Syracuse. Let it go to the end. At least let it know how to go to the end of the journey. I thought, oh, I should be pitied. I take pity on myself on that train, its rhythm opens, your soul more deftly than a scalpel. I let everything flow by everything flees. Everything is more difficult these days. Along rail lines, I'd like to let myself be led simply from one place to another, as is logical for a passenger, like a blind man, led by the arm when he crosses a dangerous street. But I'm just going from Paris to Rome, and to the main train station in Milan, to the temple of Akhenaton for locomotives, where a few traces of snow remain despite the rain. I turn round and round. I look at the immense Egyptian columns supporting the ceiling. I have a little drink out of boredom, at a cafe overlooking the tracks, the way ours overlook the sea. It doesn't do me any good. It wasn't the time for libations. There are so many things that divert you from the path, that lead you astray, 
and alcohol is one of them. It makes the wounds deeper. When you find yourself alone in an immense freezing train station obsessed by a destination that is in front of you and behind you at the same time. But a train isn't circular. It goes from one point to another. Whereas I am in orbit. I gravitate like a chunk of rock. I feel like a measly pebble when the man approached me on the platform. I know I attract madmen and deranged people these days. They rush into my fragility. They find a mirror for themselves or a companion in arms, and that is truly crazy. Priest of an unknown divinity, he has an impish cap and a small bell in his left hand. He holds out his right hand and shouts in Italian, Comrade! One last handshake before the end of the world. I don't dare shake it. Afraid he's right. He must be forty, no older. And he has that keen, prying gaze of fanatics who ask you questions because they've discovered an instant brother in you. I hesitate before the outstretched arm, terrified by that screwy smile, and I answer, No thanks. As if he were selling me a newspaper or offering me a smoke. Then the madman rings his bell and begins laughing in a big, doleful voice and pointing at me with the hand he offered me. Then he spits on the ground, moves away, and an immense, almost desperate solitude sweeps the platform at that moment. I would give anything for arms or shoulders, even the train taking me to Rome. I would give up everything for someone to appear there and stand in the middle of the station, among the shadows, among the men without their travellers, clinging to their telephones and their suitcases, all these people about to disappear and give up their bodies during the brief digression that will take them from Milano Centrale to Fosoli Bolzano or Trieste. A long time ago, at the Gare de Lyon, a deranged mystic had also announced the end of the world to me, and he was right. I had been split into two then in the war, and crushed like a tiny meteor, the kind that have stopped shining in the sky, a natural bombshell whose mass, according to astronomers, is laughable. The madman in the Milan station reminds me of the dreadful screwball in the Gare de Lyon, a saint, who knows. Maybe it was the same man. Maybe we grew at the same rhythm, each on his own side in our respective madnesses, and find each other on platform number 14 in the train station in Milan, a city with the predatory Spanish military name, perched on the edge of the plain like a glacial crust, slowly vomited by the Alps whose peaks I saw, flint blades ripping the sky and setting the tone of the apocalypse confirmed by the demon of the bell in that sanctuary of progress that is the Stazione di Milano Centrale, lost in time like me here, lost in space, in the elegant city, with a patch on my eye like Milan Astre, the one-eyed general, a bird of prey, feverish, ready to rip vibrant flesh to shreds as soon as the light of flight and danger is fired again. Milan Astre would so have liked Madrid to become a new Rome, he served the Iberian Franco Il Duce, his bald idol, in that great warring prelude to the 1940s. That one-eyed belligerent officer was a legionnaire. He shouted, Viva la Muerta, a good military prophet. And he was right. The fugue of death would be played as far as Poland, 
would raise a tall wave of corpses whose foam would end up licking the shores of the Adriatic in Trieste or in Croatia. I think about Milan Astri and his argument with Unamuno, strict high priest of culture, while travellers hurry to the platform to take off for the end of the world and the train leading them straight there. Unamuno was such a classical and noble philosopher that he didn't see the massacre on its way. He couldn't admit that the one-eyed general was right when he shouted, Long live death, in front of his flock. For that hawk had sensed, animals tremble before the storm, that the carrion would increase and multiply, that death would enjoy years of plenty, before also ending up in a train, a train between Bolzano and Birkenau, between Trieste and Klagenfurt, or between Zagreb and Rome, where time stopped, as it stopped for me on that platform lined with railway cars, furious, panting engines, a pause between two deaths, between the Spanish soldier and the train station of a similar name. As crushing as Ares' god of war himself, I light a last cigarette mechanically. I have to get ready for the journey. For moving like all the people pacing up and down the platform in Milano Centrale in search of a love, a gaze, an event that will tear them from the endless circling, from the wheel, a meeting, anything to escape yourself, or vital business, or the memory of emotions and crimes. It is strange that there are no women on the platform at this precise moment. Motivated by the memory of Milan Astri and his bandaged eye, I climb into the Trans-Italian Express that must have been the zenith of progress and technology ten years ago, for its doors were automatic and it went faster than 200 kilometers per hour in a straight line on a good day. And today, a little closer to the end of the world, it's just a train. The same goes for all things like trains and cars, embraces, faces, bodies, their speed, their beauty or their ugliness seems ridiculous a few years later, once they're putrid or rusty. Once up the step, I'm in a different world. Plush velour thickens everything. Heat, too. I left winter by getting into this train. It's a journey in time. It's a day unlike the others. It's a special day, December 8th, the day of the Immaculate Conception, and I am missing the Pope's homily on the Piazza di Spana. As the madman comes and announces the end of the world to me, I could have seen the pontiff one last time, seen the spiritual descendant of the first Palestinian leader, the only one who got some results. But it wasn't easy for that skinny, whining Levantine who didn't write a single line during his lifetime. Outside on the next track, a train is stopping. Pretty girl behind the window has intriguing eyes. I think she's talking to someone I don't see. She's very close to me, actually, a meter away at most. We are separated by two dirtyish windows. I have to be strong. I can't linger over the faces of young women. I have to be resolute, so I can gather momentum for the kilometers ahead, for me, then for the void and the terror of the world. I'm changing my life, my profession, Better not to think about it. I placed the little suitcase over my seat and I discreetly handcuffed it to the luggage rack. Closed my eyes for a minute, but on the platform, policemen mounted on two-wheeled electric chariots like Achilles or Hector, 
without a horse or chasing a young black man who's running towards the tracks, rising surprise and concern among the travellers. Blue angels, announcers of the apocalypse, maybe. Astride, strange, silent, azure scooter, everyone gets out to take in the scene. Pallas Athena and the sign of Tedious rushing at the Trojans. A few dozen metres away from me, one of the two policemen reaches the fugitive, and with a gesture of rare violence, aided by all the speed of his vehicle, he hurls the man at bay up against one of the cement posts in the middle of the platform. The captive flattens against the concrete. His head bangs into the column, and he falls. He falls on his stomach right in the middle of the Milano Centrale station, just in time for the second angel to jump on his back and immobilize him. Sitting on his lower back, the way farmer or wrangler ties up a fractious animal. Then, back on his machine, he drags the criminal stumbling at the end of a chain to the admiring murmurs of the crowd. Ancient scene of triumph. They parade the chained conquered ones behind the chariots of the conquerors. They drag them to the gaping galleys. The black man has a swollen face and a bloody nose. His head held high, a little incredulous. Everyone gets back into the car. The incident is over. Justice has triumphed. Just a few minutes before departure, I glance at the suitcase. I'm afraid I won't manage to sleep, or I'll be pursued as soon as I doze, as soon as I lower my guard they'll interfere with my sleep, or get under my eyelids to raise them the way you open shutters of Venetian blinds. It's been a long time since I fought of Venice, the green water by the Dogana, the fog of the Zateri, and the intense cold when you look at the cemetery from the Fondamente Nuevo. Back from the war, hadn't fought of the shadows. In Venice, they're made of wine and drunk in the winter starting at five o'clock in the evening. I see again the Slavic violinists who played for the Japanese, the French in full carnival masquerade, a rich hairdresser from Munich who bought himself a palace on the Grand Canal, and the train suddenly gets underway. I lean my head back. We're off. Over 550 kilometers until the end of the world.